You're listening to Compassion Radio. Compassion Radio today, I'm going to introduce you all to a mentor. But you have a chance to sit down with somebody who's had an influence on your life at different key ages. If you're a young kid dreaming of what can happen in the world and seeing what God really is doing, you need people to help you understand what you're seeing along the way. So Scott Nauman of Denver, Colorado, Littleton more specifically, is my guest today on Compassion Radio. Scott, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Bram. It's great to be here. And we haven't been in each other's face much in the past 35 years, except for a wedding here and there. But you were gracious enough to give me a place to stay while Sandy is jumping into her master's level program at Denver Seminary this week. And it's opened up a whole bunch of conversations I was not expecting to have with somebody who greatly influenced my life as a young man. But I want to know what happened. And that's going to be my subject <laughs> for the program that we're going to do today, probably tomorrow as well. Early on, we met because we were together in a ministry called Continental Singers and traveled across America and Europe. It was my first chance to jump into music ministry as a young kid. I was 16 when I toured with you. You weren't a whole lot older than that at the time, but you were fresh out of college. I want to know how, first of all, you ended up as a farm boy from Minnesota in the heart of what was happening with not just music missions, but in cultivating a worship culture in the church, which you did for many, many years afterwards. And all of those hundreds and hundreds of continental directors that are now populating different churches around the world, how it influenced you and why you've valued that. Just talk about those formative years for you coming out of the 70s into the 80s. Hmm. Wow. Well, that's... <laughs> How long, how long is the program going to be? It's uh, going to be 26 minutes or right now, but I could have you on for a year, I'm okay. sure. I'll, I'll, I'll go as quickly as I can. Well, growing up on the farm in Minnesota was a wonderful experience, but, uh, in 1975, I was exposed to an invitation that was for the very first year of the Christian Artist Music Camp at Estes Park up at the YMCA of the Rockies. And my sister and brother-in-law brought me out there and I competed, uh, as an instrumentalist. And that was an, uh, a very interesting experience, being at altitude, trying to play trumpet, being judged by actually one of the judges that was sitting there was a guy named Larry Norman. One of the was, roots of Christian rock and roll. Yeah, it yeah. was. he was there, and uh, he had performed the night before, and so he was one of the judges the next day. <clears throat> Larry didn't have the greatest things, but he was being very honest as an adjudicator. He said the right things, but there was a Gloria Rowe that was sitting there who had also performed the night before, and she said, Scott, I see the Lord in you. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't give up with uh, what God is calling you to do. I was 17 years old at the time because Christian Artists was a sister corporation to Continental Singers and the Continental Ministries. My name was put into that file and Continental Singers contacted me. When and you I, had to find a good trumpet player, you what, started digging. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I auditioned and actually auditioned as a, as a vocalist and traveled with the Continentals mm-hmm. my first year in 1976. Jumped forward from there, became a director with Continentals and went on to direct the Continental Orchestra and Singers. Uh, I think it was 15 different tours that I was on over the span of 15 years. Met my wife through the Continental Ministries, Lynn. As did uh, many of us. You know the drill. A uh, part of being a Continental Director was when Cam said, you guys need to be a music director of some sort involved in leading singing or music in a local church. In on your order- way to being a director on, on the, the road. Uh, yeah. I was a part of the precursor for that. And, and it was uh, a wonderful thing to be experiencing church music. Being in that capacity when you had that 
pedigree, pastors, church board members would look at you a little differently, mm-hmm. like you had something extra or special to, to offer, even though you were going to say, and by the way, I need the, the, the summer, summer months off. off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but that, that really led uh, Lynn and me to some larger churches. It was at Bloomington Assemblies of God Church. That's where we were married in Minnesota back in the mid 80s. We candidated at a number of different churches, and one of those was a church called South Fellowship in Denver, and that was 34 years ago or so. And we served at South Fellowship for uh, 16 years, went to a couple of other churches, Foothills Bible Church for seven years, Denver First Church of the Nazarene for seven years, and so had the opportunity to serve in some very large churches so living in Denver, uh, Lynn and I were able to continue assisting with the Christian Artist Music Seminar. That place is a oasis for people all over the front range here. Yeah. And the YMCA of the Rockies is just one of those anchors of family get together and experience. There are generations and generations of people that know the Rocky Mountains because of that camp. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. I'm really glad that it started there because then when Lynn and I moved here, it really was in our backyard and very easy to, to uh, continue with that. While serving in these large churches, it was in the day when we had choirs and orchestras as well as praise teams and different ensembles and youth choirs and and drama teams and whatnot, pageantry of sorts, banner ministry, different things there. Productions. Production was, yeah, it was really key. And uh, it was a part of the deal in, in presenting that especially great Sunday morning or weekend event that uh, you'd work hand in hand with the senior pastor and making that happen. At the same time, I was always attending Music California hmm. uh, every year. And, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred ministers of music from around the country, around the world, actually getting together in the latest, greatest publications and, and arrangements and collections. Back at a time, there's probably a couple dozen major publishers of church or sacred focused music. Everything from octavos for choirs and musicals for kids. If you had anything to do with music and production in a church, it ended up showing up at this particular convention. At, at Music California, it was it was the showcase, and and so that was a wonderful thing. But again, as you indicated, to get together with all my continental buddies and directors and and people that had toured with me and such uh, was a great time. But it was also one of those times when different aspects of focus of worship was starting to take place. Because we're involved, you and I, both in ministry of different sorts. I mean, I'm working in broadcasting, which is a big part of the Christian culture. You developed music programs and outreach, and you felt like the anchor of a community by being a worship leader and director, producer. And you were instrumental in churches that you worked in. Let's talk about what you found when you came to Denver back 35 years ago and what you did during that time and how you felt it was producing fruit for the kingdom during that time. And we'll move on to what's happening now. Hmm. You know, one of the things that God has allowed my wife Lynn and me to be able to do is to serve in three large churches in the Denver metro area over the last 30 plus years. And not just the same brand either. No, no, very, very different. And uh, large, large choir and orchestra programs primarily at the time, but youth programs and musicals and events and such. Sometimes pretty easy to do when you have an anchor city. It's a capital of a state. It's also universities everywhere. Yes. And you were at pretty much peak music education too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you had plenty of people to choose from. And the type of things that we were doing because of that and what the institutions were teaching, the universities and such, you had that draw, that pool, if you will, of the universities, the college-age students, uh, people who were newly married. It was very, very intergenerational mm-hmm. rather than where I think 
trends have gone today. I look right now and I'm still thankful for the symphonies and for the, the community choirs and such that you've got 16-year-olds singing with 80-year-olds. Which is one of the sweet spots for you even now. Right? <laughs> it's becoming sweeter as I get older. Lynn and I, when we first came to Denver, we served at a, at a church for 16 years and, and then went to South Fellowship, went to Foothills Bible Church for about seven years and then over to the Denver First Church of the Nazarene for seven years. It's not like a seven-year issue was kicking well, yeah, it was, you know, we kind of had that going, but it was a great time when working with senior pastors and putting things together that would really make that weekend event, that especially that Sunday morning, uh, take off and, and really hit home with that particular and You want idea. it to be special. You want it to be exceptional. You want it to be above even the participants' expectations. You want it to be elevated. Yes. All that stuff we aspire to, and we think if we get to that spot, we'll know not just that we did our job, our responsibility, but that God was pleased and that it's okay to enjoy the moment. We have nothing to work on at that point. We can let it go. We've done our best. Yes. And to let something go and move on to the next thing is one of the great creative ambitions. You don't want to be stuck doing the last thing and be only there. You want to move on. Yes. But you also have the kind of problem that a lot of sports junkies have or people that are chasing adrenaline fixes. Yeah. You want to have the next big high. So mm -hmm. that's always a temptation to be serving our need for satisfaction mm -hmm. rather than being preoccupied, being consumed by just enjoying God's presence, yes. that he showed up. Yeah. So you did this and you were in a comfortable spot. It was kind of an easy place to be because you knew how to do this. Mm -hmm. You spent all those years with the Continentals and past that, your post-grad education, teaching others how to see things other people can't. Yeah. And to lead people into ways that they didn't believe they could go to become leaders as servants. Mm -hmm. Even if you never thought yourself as being a worship leader or a pastor or a worship minister, you found a way to mentor people saying, for this role, for this time, on this stage, you've got God's message in your hand. Mm -hmm. And you have the people's willingness to accept your offering to them. They're willing to extend to you the right to lead them to the throne room. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible opportunity and responsibility. Yeah. We were taught that for 20 years. This is the thing. This is it. Mm -hmm. And yet, when things changed on you, when suddenly stuff went poof, and the whole world went through this cloud called COVID, the churches either got defiant or they got scared. And it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of courage during that time in the churches that I saw. So what did you experience when suddenly the stage was bare? That's a great question. When the stage was bare, because Lynn and I had been here for so many years and Still had the same cell phone number for 25 years. I'm getting phone calls from people from all of the churches, all of our networks, since this has been our Jerusalem in, in Littleton, Colorado for all these years. People were calling saying, what are you doing? What what should I be doing at this point? And there was a lot of searching for a lot of people, uh, most of us. But that element of saying, God hasn't changed one bit. His character is still the same pre, His mid, word post. is still there. It's, it's consistent. And, and to be able to lay claim to that, to say, but how does that get lived out? And what I realized, Bram, coming out of this is that we had done a great job in the lane that we were given mm -hmm. of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry as long as the work of the ministry accomplished my event, accomplished my purpose of my job description. What were the measuring sticks? Well, what, where's the offering? Where's mm -hmm. the attendance? Yeah. Are there people that are being baptized? Are there, there are certain Is the program sticks? growing? Right. And what does growth mean? And my measuring sticks post-COVID have absolutely been exchanged completely. From Insta what to what? From numerical of the obvious on the surface to the depth that goes below. Okay. For who and how? So for who would be the participants that were on the stage before to say, wait a minute, 
This storm came along. Were those roots deep or were they shallow? It's the sower and the seed. It's did they survive or not? Are they still seeking after the Lord? To whom would be those people? And the measuring stick is really, I'm going to trust the Lord no matter what. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at one 800 868 2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. And now, back to our discussion. This storm came along. Were those roots deep or were they shallow? It's the sower and the seed. It's did they survive or not? Are they still seeking after the Lord? And the measuring stick is really, I'm going to trust the Lord no matter what. Did I lose friends during COVID? Absolutely. Why did you lose them? I was just going to correct myself on that because they were believers, and so they're not lost at all. Hmm. Uh, We know exactly where they are. But they're lost to you for right now. That's a grieving. But again, I'm not going to grieve without hope because I have great hope. And if that was how God decided to call them home, who am I to get in the way of that? I don't know. He's going well, to that's call a me pretty up. brutal way of putting it, friend. I mean, <laughs> you and I have known many friends that have succumbed to COVID over the past couple of years. Right. And it's unfair and it's unjust, I would say, in what the families had to go through. How some of them actually tried very hard to avoid getting sick and got sick anyway. Mm-hmm. And there was no equity that I saw in the way people had to suffer or didn't suffer. We're still working through with friends right now that are barely alive after mm-hmm. surviving it. And all of the massive readjustments and life cost mm-hmm. to that. I was grieving it at a time when there was a whole bunch of people in the church were saying it's a hoax, hmm. that they were being led by news networks as their pastors rather than the word of God at that point. And that really, it angered me. Yeah, sure. Because we were losing friends that we knew, some of them because they were being careful and still got caught, others because they bought into right. the rhetoric. Yeah. We're left with the debris. And so here we are, you and I as pastors and friends, trying to minister to families who are now without somebody. Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out where was God in all of this? I mean, mm-hmm. that's why I turned to Philip Yancey a number of times to have him on the program to talk about who is God when we don't know who we are, mm-hmm. you know? So you're kind of left with that. What do you do as a pastor? Probably that crossed your mind a bit. What's my next calling for the people that God gave me all those years? Yeah. You know, my, my advantage to all of that is that I was on the front end of, of getting COVID. I had it for three weeks. Didn't remember Christmas. Mm-hmm. Had an oxygen. Was running about 85 for Oof. about 10 days. 
And they said, if it drops below that, you need to go to the hospital. And I, at the time, family members weren't allowed in. And so right. I, I just told Lynn, I said, if God wants me to die at home, that's where I'm going to die, with you at my side, though, rather than in the waiting room or out in the parking lot, wherever they would banish you to. So I had that side of things to be able to say, I didn't go to the hospital and I wasn't on a ventilator, but I was down with COVID, lost 25 pounds. I mean, it was it was a rough go. Mm. But the Lord said, today's not the day. Yeah. And the unfairness, whether it's COVID or anything else, really has to do with, we live in a fallen world and I have to accept that. And my dad used to have a saying, Bram, and you've met my dad before he got to go home to be with the Lord that this is the little life. Mm -hmm. The big life is the one to come. And the more we read scripture, the more we recognize it's going to get worse before it gets better. Well, yeah. Um, I rankled a bit because so much of our work with Compassion Radio is saying there's a field out there and a kingdom that's very active right now, making things better. Yes. Not just waiting for the world to come and hunkering down, but right. going out because they believe that that big life you talk about is something that God says, yeah, it may seem small now, but why not make this one a whole lot bigger like that one? Yes. And yeah. being grandiose in our dreams and our prayers. I mean, the whole prayer of Jabez thing. Do we really want God to expand our tent or not? Yeah. Or do we want to circle the wagons and make sure none of those people get in? Yeah. Holy huddle. <laughs> yeah. I, I worry about that attitude being sufficient for those who really don't want to surrender. Right. And I want to live as big as possible in this little life so that when we get there, it'll be like, what a great rehearsal yeah. for this. <laughs> yeah. you, you weren't waiting for the performance and just sitting it out. I don't want to sit it out. Right. I don't think a lot of our listeners do either. But I also hear exactly what you're saying. This is nothing compared to being in a presence of God that we can only maybe imagine. However, being in the presence of God and the spirit of God being alive in the people around you today is big. And we forget that. Yeah. And, you know, I've had a lot of talks in the past couple of days about discovering the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, us Baptist kids that grew up with the God, the <laughs> Father, God, the Son. And, oh, there's something else floating out there that kind of answers a call yeah, once in a while. Three songs. Yeah. But, you know, you're discovering what the Holy Spirit's doing in you and around you, too. So... Let's dig into that a bit. Well, yeah, let me just backtrack real quick. And when I say it's going to get worse before it gets better, when I reference that, I'm talking about persecution. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We never, me as a kid growing up, a beheading, you never even knew about it. Today, we have dear brothers and sisters in Christ who are ready to don the robes of martyrdom. Mm. And they are around the world. And they are around the world. But as a kid, that was somewhere else. Mm. That wasn't here. There is so, here now. Yeah. And so when I say worse, quote under quotes, that means, well, persecution. But what does that bring about? It brings about more glory to the Lord. It'll, it allows his light to shine even brighter because as the darkness gets darker, the brightness gets lighter. And it's a beautiful contrast of what we do have today with the fellowship of the saints in this little world before the big one is to come. And we have to make sure that we don't get glib about talking about things that are searingly real and experienced by our brothers and sisters around the world. Yes. And just by hyper-spiritualizing it from our ivory tower here. Right. Yeah, persecution may and could come to us in ways that they are experiencing where they are. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that we have a clear lens about what it's really going to mean for the faithful. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why when you get to travel in Eastern Europe back in the 80s and stuff like I did, and like we do now with Compassion Radio going anywhere at the front lines, the stories they have about what it means to be persecuted are way different than what we would think they would be. Because they start speaking of how God brought them joy and how they are alive now like they've never been alive and how they really have seen God in things and how they've literally seen miracles happen by being picked up off the street because they were left for dead mm -hmm. and restored for this life. But for me, they would say often, I was so disappointed at first. Yeah. 
because I was right. so ready to go to that big show. Yeah. Yeah. But God said, not yet. Yeah. And that testimony to me links me to the great beyond yes. by reminding me that God has not forgotten that it is a reward ahead of us, mm-hmm. but that I was rewarded by sitting in this little hut while this person tells me about how I almost went to heaven. But God says, no, your job is to make heaven happen on earth for these people and to bring that life to others and show them what I meant yes. and what I did. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want to miss opportunity to live that. Yeah. And yeah. so how are you doing it now? You, uh, you're in a situation where you kind of stepped out of these official roles because you've been doing it for almost 40 years, mm-hmm. but you still love it. You still love the music. You love the worship. What are you doing? Well, it's very, very real. But the practical side to me, Bram, is I really feel like the Lord has helped me turn a corner in taking those that I had as participants mm-hmm. on the stage, doing the music, doing the worship, uh, doing the event, and inviting them to become teachers, to, to invite them to be leaders in the midst of what they're doing, rather than always being the leader that I always was mm. with them, to say, just like Jesus, after three and a half years, it's time for you. My time is done. It's time for you. And the other part of that is to take those who were watching those events and give them a voice, give them an opportunity, give them a platform to be able to be a participant of some sort, tell their story, tell their transformation, be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. In our fellowship on Sunday mornings, we have we call them the fingerprints of God. And so it's just a natural thing to say, we are watching for the fingerprints of God this last week. And we don't play top that testimony. It's not that one is any greater or any less than the other. But I'm hearing it from other people. It's like that open mic time where people actually have a chance. And that's what God orchestrates in the encouragement and the building up of the body of Christ. It's fantastic. There's so much more great stuff coming up on tomorrow's program as I continue this conversation with my good friend and mentor, Scott Nauman. I hope you'll tune in then. The stage is bare. The crowds are gone. The love we shared still lingers on. We sang and played and we laughed and cried. And in our fumbling way, we tried. What only hearts can know And all too soon we had to go But now here in this darkened room There's just me and you. It was easy to call you Lord when a thousand voices sang your prayers. But there's no one to hear me now 
Thanks for tuning our way today. Remember, if you missed any of the earlier discussion, the podcasts are available 24-7 at our website, CompassionRadio.com. Call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445. Or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.